You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. So I'm continuing sort of a leisurely stroll through this familiar gospel story from John chapter 2, the wedding feast at Cana. Yesterday, I talked a little bit about the shift from a life driven by obligations, or you could say life under the law, to a life lived in the spirit in response to Jesus. And the story now takes us in that direction really quite naturally. If you weren't here yesterday, it doesn't matter. It's a very familiar story. I'll just sort of catch you up for a second. You remember Jesus and the disciples go to a wedding in Cana and the wine runs low. And Mary tells Jesus they have no wine. And then she instructs the servants to do whatever he tells you to do. Next, John tells us this. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And it's those six stone jars that I'd like to think, like us to think about for a few minutes here. John says that each of these six stone jars held about 20 or 30 gallons of water. This water was not for drinking, it wasn't for hygiene. The water in these jars was used for ritual purification as part of following the law of Moses. And at a wedding, the servants would pour this water on the hands of every guest. And so if you had a lot of guests, you needed a whole lot of water. And it was these stone jars and the water that they contained that Jesus chose to transform. And you think about it, he could have chosen to just fill each individual cup at the table. He might have provided uh, each individual guest with a leak-proof Yeti water bottle. He could have done jello shots, I assume. He could have done anything he wanted. But he chose to transform the water in these six ceremonial jars. And that's because that was not just any water in those jars. That was religious water. He transformed. Jesus transformed the water of the Jewish law into the wine of the gospel. That's the whole point of this. And the full meaning of that miracle, what John calls a sign, the full meaning doesn't really get revealed until the end of his earthly ministry on the cross at his hour when the risen Lord replaces the old temple with his own body and the whole process of purification is radically transformed. But John is summing up what he has already noted at the very beginning of his gospel in the prologue. John says, the law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. So John's noted that. And then at the wedding, there's this just sort of a veiled 
reference to what's going to happen later. John says it's a sign of what's going to happen later. It points to what God is going to do down the road. So if you think about that, that water, we, we might use water to sanitize our hands to ward off the virus. We, you know, just wash our hands for general cleanliness, but we don't wash our hands for purification. And so we might need a little help to connect how this uh, connects with our own lives right now. It might help to think about this water, this religious water, as any of the ways that we attempt to get ourselves right by our own efforts. So you could include anything that under the heading of being spiritual or getting your act together. You could include anything that you do to prove to yourself or to anybody else that you are enough. And here I'm drawing on uh, some language from David Zoll's uh, wonderful book, Seculosity, how career, parenting, technology, food, politics, and romance became our new religion and what to do about it. Um, David shows how we are not in a less religious age, but in fact, we are in a super religious age. We're just super religious about being non-religious, he says. Traditional religious aims have not disappeared, but has in, have intensified where we once looked to God or to clergy for comfort, purpose, belonging, absolution, and salvation. We now see those things at the gym, in the kitchen, on social media, in the voting booth, or wherever. Ultimately, he says, we are searching for a sense of enoughness. That's so helpful. I mean, that, that's, what it's, that's what this is about. Any place that you're trying to show that you are enough, that is the religious water in your life. And Jesus intends to transform that. The whole Gospel of John demonstrates that in Christ, purification or enoughness is going to be brought about in an entirely different way. The story implies that for all of us, there is something that we are pursuing that we need to leave behind. We need to allow God to transform. The chapter in Seculosity on parenting as a religion hit a little too close to home for me. Um, we have five children, and looking back, I know that uh, we have spent far too much energy trying to fix them, trying to make them better, which in truth has often been an effort to establish our enoughness through successful parenting. And when you're in the middle of it, you feel like you're doing a good thing. You're working hard to be good parents. But sadly, I know now from now that our children, some of our children are older, that they experienced so much of our efforts as law and us as the lawgivers. We meant well. We intended to serve them wine, but we serve them water instead. And sometimes we even called it wine. Too often, though, it was religious water. 
And one memory in particular sticks in my head. Uh, many years ago, uh, I took one of our sons out on a charter boat into the Gulf of Mexico to, to go fishing. It was his first real big fishing trip. We were fishing for speckled trout and redfish, and he caught an enormous redfish. It was literally as big as he was. Um, and he would not even let the charter boat captain fillet it because he wanted to take it home and take it all through the neighborhood in, in one of this big red wagon and just show everybody this giant fish that he had caught. And at the end of the day, he was just totally exhausted, but he was still in the thrall of this uh, wonderful, successful adventure of a lifetime experience. And he said to me, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be a charter boat captain. And I said, well, you know, son, being a captain is pretty hard work. And they don't make a lot of money. And they don't get to see their families much because they have to be out on the water first thing in the morning. Most of them don't get through college and on and on. And my son brought this up to me, you know, like 10 years later during an argument that we were having. He got really angry and he said something to the effect of, all I ever got from you was correction. When I said I wanted to be a charter boat captain, all you gave me was reasons I couldn't. I wish that I had said, son, you'd be the best charter boat captain ever to sail out into the Gulf of Mexico. I've preached grace for years, and I believe that it is the great change agent in our lives, which I first heard said from this pulpit. I don't believe that we significantly or really at all move anyone closer to God by application of the law. I believe that in theory, uh, but I often fail in practice. That's what I'm trying to say. And it's frustrating. I'll give you another example of how I fail in practice. Better yet, what if I give you an example of how Paul Walker fails in practice? Would you like that? Would you like that? If you don't know Paul Walker, he preached here last week. Let's do that, that's more fun. So last uh, summer, I visited with Paul and with Craig uh, in Virginia, and uh, Paul has become an avid fly fisherman. He is now a character straight out of a river runs through it. And he was very anxious to take us fly fishing and to share his love of fly fishing with us. So um, if, you know, if you don't know, casting a fly rod is completely different from spin casting, which is what I do down in South Louisiana. So Paul had me up at dawn out behind this barn schooling me in proper casting form. And I held this, it's like a 10-foot fly rod. Um, and he stood behind me critiquing every single motion, even my thinking back and forth. Okay, Drew, 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, keep your wrist stable. Imagine you're flinging paint. Watch your line, but no, don't focus on it. Pause. Don't wait so long. Transfer your energy from the back to the front. Keep it fluid. Relax, relax, relax. And of course, the result is completely predictable. It just shut me down completely. And this is my point. He meant well. 
He wanted me to experience a river runs through it. But he just crushed me with the law of the proper cast. I'm still recovering. (laughs) But I think about that as kind of a metaphor of the fact that good intentions don't change the way the law functions. And I know that he preached grace from this pulpit last week. And he didn't intend his barrage of judgment to drive me out of the kingdom. (laughs) But, you know, no amount of correction in any part of our life, no pointing out of another person's failures results in life. That's what I'm trying to say. We don't want to serve up religious water to our children. In the face of all our correcting, they are less resilient than we think they are. And I'll give you one final example. Jackson Brown has a a wonderful song called These Days. Several people have recorded it. You can go on YouTube and look up his acoustic version. It's really great. In this song, he sings, I've been out walking. I don't do too much talking these days. These days. He says, I think about the things I forgot to do and all the times I had the chance to. It's a song that's full of regret. He says, I've been losing for so long. And he sings that he'll just keep moving on and maybe things will improve. And then the last line is is a request, it's a plea. He says, don't confront me with my failure. I had not forgotten them. Don't confront me with my failures. I have not forgotten them. And the thing that's really amazing, he was 16 when he wrote that. 16. And he was already laboring under the weight of regret, failure, and begging for no one to confront him with his weakness, with his failure, because he knew all of that already. Jesus offers us and our children wine, metaphorically. Jesus instructs the servants to draw some of this religious water, which is turned into wine, to take it to the chief steward. And the chief steward takes a sip, and what does he taste? Tomorrow, a taste of good wine. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the love and grace that you show us in your Son. Give us eyes to see where we are serving religious water and help us to pour out your grace. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.